The following message was recorded Wednesday, November 1, 2023. This is our November 2023 communion service. And now, here's Pastor David. Well, good evening. And welcome to our communion service tonight. Okay, so communion, communion tonight. We are going to go into 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, so if you get you there, and then um, I don't know where things lie on, the, on your page, on your Bible, but we're going to get a running start into it in chapter 5, because the idea continues from chapter 5 on into chapter 6, and so we want to back up a few verses, um, but we'll primarily be spending most of our time in chapter 6. Okay, everybody's there? All right, one more time. Lord, we ask you for discernment. Lord, give us the wisdom. Give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear. Lord, give us the minds to comprehend. And Lord, give us the spirit and the will to just accept the things that you have for us in your word, Lord. As always, draw us close. Lord, we want to leave this place just experiencing a refreshing from coming that comes from fellowshipping with you and communing with you tonight, Lord. So bless us, bless our time together. This little family, Lord, in this little meadow, Lord, we are here just to enjoy not only the presence of, of each other, but primarily, Lord, your presence. So bless us with that tonight, Jesus. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want to get a running start on this, but I thought, um, you know, as I was reading through this, Without having some idea of the background of what's going on, it's kind of, you won't pick up everything that is actually being, you know, what Paul is saying in the text. So I wanted to give just a brief uh, background of how we got here, why we're here, and why Paul is saying the things that he's saying here. And I was doing a little research on this, and and I came across um, a little paragraph uh, that has the theme, which I think does a better job of describing that I can, so I'm just going to read it to you. And what the theme is, it's very short, uh, but it, it will uh, give us an idea of what the background is and why we're going where we are. Uh, it says, the church at Corinth had been invaded by false teachers, probably Judaizers, who emphasized, number one, ritualistic legalism, number two, special knowledge, or, uh, and number three, spectacular spiritual experiences. Eloquent in speech... With a charming and impressive manner, these intruders were calling into question Paul's apostolic credentials. Apparently, they had joined a small but vocal opposition group within the church. Together, they were challenging Paul's integrity, his ministry, his authority. Changes of, charges of insincerity, financial indiscretion, spiritual impotency, and rhetorical ineffectiveness are examples of the accusations that were being leveled against Paul. In response, Paul lays bare his soul and challenges the church to consider carefully his personal life and ministry as it was revealed in their midst. His ministry is impeccable and his message true and life-changing. He encourages them to prepare for his forthcoming visit, his third visit, by making ready the poverty relief collection for the church at Jerusalem, which a year previously they had started but failed to complete. And then he concludes with a vigorous defense of his legitimacy and his apostolic, or his apostleship, and a stern warning that he will deal personally with any troublemakers upon his arrival. So that's where we are, and that's why Paul wrote a lot of 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, and he's uh, primarily defending 
these accusations have been brought against him. All right. So we're going to back up into chapter 5 in verse 17. A very familiar verse to you. And then we're going to get a running start into chapter 6. 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled, to us, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this little lead in here to chapter 6, he starts off with saying that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. All right? There ought to be a difference in you if you're in Christ. Right, the long and short of it. And then he goes on and he says, if you're a new creation, God who has reconciled you wants to now use you as a minister of reconciliation. All right, so he's made us an ambassador. What is an ambassador? Someone that goes on behalf of the one who called him, right? Okay, his head, his or her head. You're an ambassador. Um, so now you're an ambassador. Um, for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this is interesting because he's calling the believer to be ambassadors, preaching that reconciliation. But he says, but we implore you. Now, he's, he's imploring who? The Corinthians. We implore you, be reconciled to God, insinuating they're not, <laughs> right? There's a problem. There's an issue here. And then he goes on and he says, for, him, he, or, for he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then he says, we then, and this is why we had to back up, we then as workers together with him also plead with you to not receive the grace of God in vain. So we then as workers together with him. So he's called us as ambassadors, and we are now working with him. That's a, that's a great calling if you think about that, right? We've been called to work alongside God in his ministry. It's his ministry, right? And he's called us to work alongside him. What a, what's, that's a privilege, isn't it? That's a, that's a great privilege. I mean, think about that. I've been called by the king of kings to work with him. I mean, I, you know, did you ever get the phone call on a job upgrade you were trying to get? You know, whoa, whoa. Well, you just got called by the king of kings. It doesn't get any higher than that. You, know? you just got called by him to work together with him. But he also pleads with them to not receive the grace of God in vain. Um, and he goes on to say, um, for, for he says in verse 2, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in, that, in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So he tells them in verse 1 to not receive the grace of God in vain. Vanity, right, or vain? 
vain. Um, so I, you look up the word in the, in the Greek in vain, and it's kinos, and it means empty or devoid of truth. In regard to like a place or a vessel, it contains nothing, but of people, you're empty-handed or you're without a gift. And the metaphorical uh, definition is you are destitute of spiritual wealth, of one who boasts of his faith as a transcendent, trans, I can't say that, possession yet is without the fruits of faith. So that is, that is basically what he's saying in vain, is, is receiving the grace of God in vain. And he's, he's directing this right to the, the, the church of Corinth, right? Don't be those who are saying you're Christians that you want to say you are, you want to act like you are, you want to maybe try to put on the cloak that you are, but it's really vain. It's really vain. It has nothing. It is empty. It's devoid of any spiritual goodness. And that's what he's telling them. All right? And then he goes on, and he says, In the acceptable time I have heard you in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So it's okay, you can put it off till later, right? You can put off your, you don't have to concern yourself with this right now. You've got plenty of time to worry about these kind of things, right? It's okay, you can continue living your life for now. You know, when you get around to deciding you need to, you know, take this seriously, that'll be fine, right? No, now. Now is the acceptable time of salvation. Why? Because you might not have tomorrow or a moment from now. You don't know. You don't know when, when your time is called. And there's also some, you know, scriptural support that God will call you, God will call you, God will call you, God will call you, and you don't respond, you don't respond, you don't respond, and he quits calling. So you may not drop dead yet, you know, this life, but it's done. You know, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. So now is the time. Don't think you can continue on this path of playing around with God and then expect that tomorrow you'll be okay and you'll have that opportunity. Your time could be up anytime and you don't know when that is. So quit messing around. You know, quit doing the things you're doing. This is what he's telling this Corinthian church. All right. So he is, this is not the first time, by the way, that, that Paul has spoke to them about receiving God's grace in vain. So he's, he wrote, what did he write before? Well, this is a trick question. What, what did he write before 2 Corinthians? <laughs> Actually, the letter of sorrows, but, <laughs> but before that, which is the one we don't have, he wrote 1 Corinthians. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 15, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Believing in vain is empty. It is not a belief, Right? Later in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So what's the contrast here? 
you believe in vain, and what do you have? Nothing. nothing. Empty. There's nothing. There's no fruit. There's no spiritual indication whatsoever that their salvation has occurred in your heart. But what did Paul say? I didn't believe in vain, and I labored. I labored more abundantly than anybody else. I, I did these things. There's all this fruit. So, so you're calling into question. You people are going to call into question my salvation and my integrity and my motivation. Look what I, I mean, you know, Paul hated doing this. I, I look at me. I have to boast. I'm going to boast in these things, right? But he tells them, he says, it wasn't me. God's grace towards me was not in vain. I labored more. Now, he said a similar things to the Galatians. And the Galatians had a, a, a similar but different problem, I guess. The Judaizers had come in, and they're going behind them and trying to get the Galatians to go back and the, the Jesus plus thing, right? Um, that, yeah, the Jesus is, is good and all, but you still have to obey the law. You still need to, to keep the law. So in Galatians 4, he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those by which by nature are not gods, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire to be in bondage again? How is this? You say you're known by God, but you want to turn back to those things that he brought you out of, that he freed you from? How is that? Paul asked the question, how is it that you want to turn again to these weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be a bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years, basically the law. He says, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. In vain. So my labor for you could be in vain if there really is no spiritual fruit that is shown by your, like your conversion, this reconciliation you say you have to God. So... And be careful that, that, that we, you know, there ought to be a spiritual fruit in our lives. That's, that's the real indication of whether or not we have responded to the gospel of truth. Amen? So then in chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, he goes on and he says, We give no offense in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. So now he's going to give the evidences. All right. These, these are the evidences that I labored beyond what most people will do. Okay. And he, he gives a number of things. He gives a 10 and 11. And I think the last one might be six. And he uses different, different words. One, the first one, he, if you look at the first three things, he says in, 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 in. And then he goes by, 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 by. And then he ends with as, 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 as. Okay. So. These things that are in are kind of like these outward circumstances that have come upon him. Okay, and the first one he says, in much patience. Now, the, that might be a little bit of a bad 
translation right there because I think it'd probably be better that if it was in much endurance uh, because the word is hupomone, okay? So it means to stay under the load. You know, it's, it's not like we think, in our, in, in our grammar, our vernacular, we, we kind of think of being patient as that, you know, okay, I'll, I'll sit and I'll, you know, I'll, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to understand. It's like that's, that's not really what this means. It means that he's being under trials and persecutions and testings, and he's going to stay under that, all right? So in much in much patience or in much endurance, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in fastings. All these things that came upon Paul kind of outward from the outside in that he had to, he had to endure. And he did endure. But his response, what was his motivation? What was the motivation of his heart? How did he respond to that? He responded by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Think about that. That's with your shield and your sword, right? Um, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report. So, Though he endured all these things, these outward things, these outward influences that were coming upon him, what fruit did he show? How did he respond? What was his motivation? It's like you're leading a list of the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Purity, knowledge, long-suffering, kindness of the Holy Spirit, love, the word of truth, power of God, the armor of righteousness, and honor and dishonor and evil report and good report. These are, this, this was the motivation that, that Paul had. This was in the, you know, the Holy Spirit gave to him the fruits of his works. They were outwardly, they were shown, okay? And again, you got to think that he's writing this to a bunch of people who weren't acting like that, okay? But we're accusing him, okay? They're not acting like this, but they're accusing him. All right, and then he goes on to these as, ases. And, and I think this is, this is interesting here because... So many times you're going to get an attack from the outside, and we all do, right? We'll, we'll all get attacked from the outside. Even if, even if you don't have someone getting in your face, you always have Satan up there putting the rewind button on, don't you? You know, and, and he's always trying to remind you of your past or your shortcomings or where you fell, you know, what, just whatever it is, you know, where you missed the mark. He's always wanting to do that. But Paul says, I'm not going to get hung up in that. I'm not going to get hung up in, in what Satan's trying to do. And I'm not going to get hung up in what people, the negativity people are shooting at me and trying to challenge me. And he says, he goes, so as deceivers, you're going to accuse me as a deceiver, right? But yet I'm true. I know the truth. I react in truth. How about as unknown? Oh, you don't know God. You don't know anything about God. And yet I'm very well known by him. As dying, Behold, we live as chastened and not killed. A discipline of drawing, being drawn near, but not a destruction. As sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. We'll go through sorrows and sorrows in this life, but we can rejoice. As poor, yet making many rich. Not worried about my physical wealth. I'm worried about your spiritual wealth. 
as having nothing, and yet we possess all things. This is, I mean, don't you wish you had that mind? Don't you wish that no matter how, how bad someone tried to rattle you, no matter how bad this world tried to get you off course, that you could do that? I'm so confident in what God has for me and in, 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 in my faith in him and my trust in him that, that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. He's going to finish this work until the day of Jesus Christ. And I know that and I am not going to let you rattle me. I'm not going to let you people challenge me on my belief. I've got the fruits. I've got the labors. I've got the works and I've got the word of God and I've got the truth of God. Don't challenge me on this. You need to look at yourselves. Look at what you're doing. Are you believing in vain? And then he goes on and he says in verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Paul desperately wants the reconciliation with the Corinthian church. He wants to, even, even no matter all the things that they have done, he wants the reconciliation with the Corinthian people. But he tells them, the problem's not me. My heart's open. It is wide open to you. I really, really want this. I'm speaking to you as if you're my children. The problem is, your heart's not open to me. You know, it's often been said that forgiveness is a one-way street. Someone can sin against you, and you can forgive them for that. But reconciliation, it's a two-way street. There has to be both parties that are involved. And so Paul, though he can forgive them, he wants the reconciliation. He really wants it, but he knows Corinthians, my heart is wide open to you. Please let your heart be open to me. Allow the truth that I'm speaking to you in love. Please let your heart be open to me and let's reconcile. That's what his heart truly is. And now he goes on into this section where he talks about, well, let me back up again. The first part of that in verse 11, or or, it's a verse 11 and 12. He says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. What's keeping them from reconciliation? Their own affections for what? For the world. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, they're not being restricted by him. And and what he's asking of them They're being restricted by their own desires and their own lusts for what they want. Okay, so this is hard truth that he's pointing out to them, but it is truth. You need to look at yourselves and really ask yourself, why? Why am I not able to be reconciled? Why Why are we not able to be reconciled? Because you're holding on to some things that you shouldn't be holding on to. You're listening to bad influences and that always corrupts, right? Good behavior, always. And you need to be careful with who these people are and then look at their fruit and what do they have to show compared to my fruit and what I have to show. Are they really out for ministers of good? Are they out for, to be ministers of reconciliation? 
You're not restricted by us. You're really, truly restricted by your own lusts and your own desires. And then when he goes on into verse 14, he gives them the example of that. This is what I'm talking about. So you're being restricted by your own desires, and this is what I'm talking about. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. So don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Examples. Marriage, that's one everybody always gives. But that's not the only one. Business, yeah, business partners. There's a multitude of different things. You could come up with all kinds of different ways of, of somebody being unequally yoked with a believer. Now, what's the, what's the point he's making here with this unequally yoked thing? To go back into the law, there's a discussion about having animals yoked together. And what are you going to do? What, are you going to put an ox on the same yoke as a donkey? <laughs> You'll probably end up with a dead donkey, you know? I mean, I would guess. You know, I think this ox is probably going to run this thing into the ground or, the, or you're not going to be able to keep the thing going the way you want it to go or straight because of the unequal power. I mean, it, just, it doesn't work, right? You don't want an, a believer to be unequally yoked with a, an unbeliever. Why? It's just not going to work. It, it's, just, it's an impossibility. Um, I read one commentary that talked about the marriage and it said if, if a, I think the way it put it was, if a pious man marries an unbelieving woman, it will be his cross to bear for the rest of his life. If a pious woman marries an unbelieving man, although she may pray, let me see, it comes off the uh, Lord's Prayer. Hang on, I'll get this. I got to remember what it was. May, may, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It says you may pray that, but it will never happen. Because you're in constantly in a battle, a spiritual battle, with this other person. You, you have different fathers. You know, if, you are, if you're the believer, your father is, as we read, Abba Father, right? If you're the unbeliever... It could be. It could be. You could win that person over, but that's not an excuse to go into it. Okay, so yes, true, true that you, as, as a believing side, you live your life before Christ and before that person as a pure and holy, godly person. And maybe that, that will change the person. Maybe that will change, but you don't go into it knowing this in advance. Right, and so did I. So did I. It, it was my chaste wife who, who drove, drew me to the Lord. So, but neither of us were saved going into it. You know, so, but anyways, yes, but you, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be yoked with an unbeliever for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion does light have with darkness? What communion does light have with darkness? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. Now, you think about this. Is... is Light, the absence of darkness, or is darkness the absence of light? 
Darkness, absence of light. You just, you, the default is darkness, right? It's just, if there's no light, it's dark. You know, it, it doesn't happen the other way around. It's like, well, I'm going to turn off the dark. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to turn off the dark. You can only turn off the light. But there's no fellowship. When you turn on the light, the dark dispels. It goes away, right? You turn off the light, the darkness comes. Right? So, but the default is the darkness. But what fellowship is there with each other? There's none. You can't have darkness and light at the same time. It's impossible. It's inconceivable. You know? Hmm? Yeah, they're absolutely contrary to one another. And, of course, what accord does Christ have with Satan? What part does a believer have with the unbeliever? And I think that's getting more into the, you know, the business partnership, partnerships, or the marriage, or those type of relationships. And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? None. And he says, but for you are the temple of the living God. So what fellowship would you have with these idols, this idolatry, these beggarly elements that want to lead you back into bondage? And then he says, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, this is interesting. Somewhere, in some places, when Paul quotes Scripture, it's definitive you know exactly what Scripture he's referring to. In other places, he might paraphrase Scripture. And, and it could be a, a number of different scriptures that could be, this is what he's talking about, you know, or this is the one he was thinking of. And, and there was several of them that I looked up that he could have been referring to. And he says, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. All right. But only one of them referenced a text in Exodus, which I thought was very interesting. Because the text is referencing the consecration, consecration of Aaron and his sons to be ministers before the, before the tabernacle, okay? They were being consecrated to be the high priest and, and, the, and the priest, the sons, his sons being priests. And so if that was what Paul was thinking, what's the connection he's making here? You know, what, what would have... He's thinking, you know, I'll dwell among them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And if his mind goes clink, I'm thinking about Aaron being consecrated and, and his sons being consecrated for service to the Lord. Okay. It's not exactly what I was thinking, but. And, and I don't want to do this for the interest of time because we, we, I don't want to have to take the time to go back and read that whole text. Um, but when you, when you go through the, the text on them being consecrated. It's all these sacrifices that are occurring over and over and over. And the first one is the sin offering. Okay? So the first thing they have to do is they have to make a sin offering for their sin. And then, and then the second thing they have to do is they have to make a burnt offering. Okay? Where the offering is completely and totally consumed. All right? The first one... Sin offering, they spread the blood, forgiveness of sins. Second one, total consummation of the, of the offering. And then the third one that's described there is a, um, a peace offering. Okay, so, yeah, fellowship offering, peace offering, a way of offering, whatever you, whatever you want to call it is a peace offering before God. And then after that, then it goes on to these daily offerings that are being made, and they're all burnt offerings. Day after day after day after day after day after day, you have to do that. And then that section concludes with 
I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, and I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I will dwell with them. I will walk among them. Right after all he did was talk about all these sacrifices that need to be made. And, and, and in my mind, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put the connection here. What is the connection? And I'm thinking, do you really want God to walk with you? Do you want him to dwell in your midst? Do you want him to be your God? Do you want to be his people? Well, then you have to make sacrifice. You need to make continual sacrifice for your sin. Oh, well, that's a one time. But then you have to offer yourself as a burnt offering. Totally consecrated. Take me, Lord. Consume me. Use me for you. And I want to have peace with you. Peace with God. And they actually reference that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And we all know the living sacrifice likes to crawl off the altar, right? We all hear that many times. But then the continual daily offerings afterwards, which were all burnt offerings. This is not, I do it one time. Daily, Lord, consume me, take me, use me for your, you know, your purposes. And that's what he wants. And if you do that, if you will get rid of what Paul called these beggarly elements that are going to do nothing but bring you back into bondage, if you will truly show the fruits of what God's trying to do in you, if you will allow him to consume your life, if you will allow him to do that, daily allow him to consume your life, then he will walk with you. He will be your God. He will be your people. And you know what? And if you go to this text here, and he will remind you that he is the one that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He brought you out of that bondage. He brought you into a high and lofty place where you can look up and you can say, praise the Lord. I don't care what you tell me, Satan. I don't care the accusations you bring against me, world. I don't care all the things you want, trials, tribulations. I don't care what you want to do. I am the child of the king. And I've been called by him. Is that what he was referring to? It's Paul. <laughs> we don't know, but it very well could be. But I think it applies. I think it applies. And in verse 17, he says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Come out, be separate from this world. Now is the acceptable time. Come out, among, come out from out among them and don't touch what's unclean. And so I think what we need to do, I think what I need to do, and whatever the Lord tells you, we need to take an honest look at the motivations of our heart. We're not burdened by our Lord Jesus. We're not to be unequally yoked. But at the beginning of this text, he said we work alongside him. We work alongside him. We can be in the same yoke, and we're not unequal. And, and by the way, his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Yeah. 
We're not, to be, we're not burdened by our Lord Jesus. He said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The problem is that Paul is pointing out here is that we are burdened by our own affections. We're burdened by our own, what do you like to say? Precious. It's my precious. My precious. Those are the things that hinder us. And in many cases, our, our own affections, they can't coexist with God. They can't. You see the bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker? I'm sure you've all seen the bumper sticker that says coexist. And it, it's so con- contradictory, it's not even funny. It's like, coexist? It's like, that one wants to kill this one. <laughs> but, yeah, it, I'm sorry. You, that doesn't even make sense. They can't coexist. Doesn't even make sense. And I say in many cases, our, our own affections, they can't coexist with, with God's, our, our own affections can't go, coexist with God's affections. But at a very minimum, they will grieve the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in us. So we can oppress him, we can suppress God's work in us, we can suppress all he wants to do in us by grieving him because of our own affections. And so tonight, we want to commune with his light. And the light will dispel the darkness. And we need to allow that light to dispel the darkness. We all have our shortcomings. We all do. If you think you're perfect and you've been made perfect, you don't need to be here. Well, actually, you probably do. (laughs) We need to go over that part and being in vain, I think, about maybe again. (laughs) But... Um, but yeah, we're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. And, uh, you know, but we just, we need to take an honest inventory of what's going on in our lives and, and look at the things that grip us. You know, when Paul, you know, he goes through a lot of these things, you know, it's like, it doesn't have any power over me. It doesn't have any power over me. Are you worried about the things of this world? Are you worried about, you know, the condition of your 401k? Are you worried about, you know, <laughs> this? Are you worried about that? Are you worried about gas prices? Are you worried about the wars that are breaking out in the world? Are you worried about these things? You know, it's all lack of faith. It all is. And, um, you know, it, it, they're hard things. They're hard things. Yeah. And I'll end here. But one of the things that kind of comforts me Sometimes when I read through different places of the scriptures where Paul's, act, Paul's written his epistles, he, he admits that he was in fear. You know, at least two places that I can think of off the top of my head. So even Paul feared. You know, there was things that, it's like, these are scary things, you know. But Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to take me through them. I'm going to trust you're going to take me through them. We're leaving this place. It's just a matter of time, right? One way or another, we're, we're out of here, you know, <laughs> But when that happens, we might worry about it up until it happens. But after it happens, whoo <laughs> Send me back, Lord. Lazarus said, right? Send me back. <laughs> so, anyway, so we're going to take time. We're just going to spend some time uh, communing with the Lord. We'll dim the lights and just take your time. Pray before God and allow him to touch you. Allow him to cleanse your feet. Allow him, you know, cleanse your heart. Speak to your heart. Speak to your mind. Let him give you rest. His, his burden is light. 
right? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He, he wants to put nothing on us that we can't carry. You know, in fact, he took everything on him so that he could carry it for us. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time. Just pray that you'll bless us. And Lord, as we come before you and we remember all that you have done for us, Lord, we don't want to approach you in vain. Lord, we don't want to have a cloak of righteousness and inside be empty, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Lord, we don't want to be that. We want to be people who are pure of heart, pure of spirit, pure of mind. Truly, Lord, allowing you to just do whatever you want to do in our lives, Lord, to that point where we would be consumed by you. And our offering would be, Lord, you can have it all. You can have it all. And by giving you everything that we have here, oh my gosh, we gain it all. So just touch our hearts, Lord. Touch us with a pure motivation of just being thankful to you, Lord. Lord, we can end, end those sacrifices with the peace offering. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that surpasses all understanding. Bless us now, Lord, for this period of time that we spend communing with you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.